You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Coop. Well, we are delighted that you're with us this morning, and uh, we're going to continue on our series. We're talking about God has a better way all year long in different ways and different formats. As we were mentioning, February, God has a better way to think. Dr. Carolyn Leaf is going to be with us in that month. You will not want to miss that. She's written a book called Who Switched Off My Brain. It's available in the bookstore, and uh, you'll want to pick that up if you haven't had a chance to read it. She is a Ph.D. in this area. This is her specialty, the way people think. And as a Christian, she correlates the scriptures, what God has to say about renewing your mind with what science has to say. She's doing a Friday seminar, Saturday seminar here, and then Sunday. It's no charge. Just come, bring friends, and learn and understand what science is saying about the way we think and how we can change. And God's Word parallels this. So I'd encourage you to make your way uh, or plan those days. It's the third weekend of February. Today we're going to be talking about uh, Elijah. So if you have your Bibles, find 1 Kings chapter 19. And we're talking about how God helps us get through when we're feeling the blues, when we're feeling depressed, when we're feeling discouraged, when we're feeling down, when we want to throw in the towel, when we want to quit, when we're at that place. God has a proven way to bounce back from that. That's where we're going this morning. So the text is 1 Kings chapter 19. And if you've ever felt that way, you are not alone. You're in good company. Elijah was one of them. Uh, David also felt that way. We see it expressed when he wrote the Psalms in different times. He would share the way he was feeling. We pick it up in Psalm 55, 4 to 8. I put it in your notes. David says, my heart is in anguish within me. Stark fear overpowers me. Trembling and horror overwhelm me. Oh, for the wings like a dove to fly away and rest. I would fly to the far-off deserts and stay there. I'd flee to some refuge from all this storm. Have you ever felt like that? You just want to get off the merry-go-round? You want to quit? You just want to get away from everything? And I just feel like this overwhelmed. It didn't turn out the way I wanted it to turn out, and I'd like to just pull the plug. This is the way David felt. This is the way Elijah felt. So how does God respond when we feel that way? What is his way to overcome that? Our character this morning is Elijah. And before we get to chapter 19, let me tell you what happens in 17 and 18. Those uh, act one, so to speak, and then we'll go to act two in chapter 19. Elijah's an interesting guy. You've got to study Elijah. What an amazing Bible character he is, bigger than life. When I think of Elijah, I kind of think of Elijah as the John Wayne of the Bible, okay? So that'll give you an idea of his personality and the way he does stuff. He's a mountain man. He comes from the mountains of Gilead, and uh, it's at a season, it's at a time when the nation of Israel is in a spiritual decline, spiraling downward. Ahab is a king, and Ahab is said to be the most evil of all the kings up to that time. So he's not a good king. And to top it all off, he marries the princess from the north, and her name is Jezebel. And so he marries Jezebel. Jezebel is not the most popular name today. Matter of fact, I went on babynames.com, and there is not even a mention of it. She does not even show up in the trends, so she's, she's not a well-chosen name. I will not ask for a show of hands this morning if you are named Jezebel, just in case you are. But it is not a very popular name. 22 times in the Bible it's referred to, and always in an evil way. So there's probably reasons why people don't name their daughter Jezebel too often. That being said, Ahab marries Jezebel, and Jezebel, she is a worshiper of Baal, and another 
well, the counterpart of Baal was, the female part was Ashtoreth. And Baal was the goddess of fire and power. Ashtoreth was the goddess of fertility. And so she marries Ahab, and they bring this, uh, these gods into the nation, and they begin to set up these different places of worship. And God is no longer worshiped the God of Israel, but they begin to worship these gods as introduced by Jezebel. And throughout the land, pretty well, well known that if you worship the God of Israel, Jezebel will have you killed. And uh, so she is uh, serious about changing the nation. It's a very perverted cult, very perverted religion, a lot of sexual perversion, a lot of weird sacrifices and won't go into it. But it was pretty, it was not pretty dark. It was really dark. And about this time, Elijah shows up. Elijah's name means the Lord is God. So every time you would say Elijah, it would contradict what Jezebel was saying. So that alone was kind of confrontational when he shows up. Elijah comes up to the king. So he's bold, he's strong, and he's kind of disappointed because the other prophets aren't doing much. Obadiah had them hiding in caves, and Elijah shows up. And uh, he goes to the king Ahab, and he says, Ahab, we're going to do some things different here. Things need to change. And uh, just so to help wake you up, I have been praying, and it's not going to rain for three years. And so for three years, there's no rain and a great drought in the land. And uh, to uh, just to speed things up a bit uh, and to help people understand who they should be worshiping, Elijah says, let's go to Mount Carmel and... People, you need to decide who you want to serve. You can serve God of Israel, or you can serve this Baal. And he says, let's have a bit of a showdown on Mount Carmel. And so they go up to Mount Carmel, and Elijah sets up a place for sacrifice, as does the prophets of Baal. And the deal was, you pray, and I'll pray. And let's see whose God answers with fire. Well, the prophets of Baal do this, and they're out there. They're praying, and they're chanting, and they start at morning. And they pray all the way to noontime, and uh, nothing is happening. They run around, they cut themselves with knives, and it's, it, it's a really demonic scene, really. And uh, Elijah, being the mountain man that he was, he kind of taunts him a little bit, and he says, well, maybe your God is on holidays. Did you check his schedule? He might be on holidays. Maybe he's on a journey. And uh, then he says, uh, maybe your God's in the bathroom. Did you check? He might be in the bathroom. He literally says he's... He might be in the outhouse. Is he, is he there? Maybe that's why he's not showing up. Uh, maybe your God's sleeping. Maybe you need to wake him up before he answers. And so Elijah, he's kind of trash-talking these other people just a little bit. I don't know if that's the right phrase, but anyhow, he's, he's just, come on, where is your God? So finally at noon, nothing happens. So Elijah says, pour water over this sacrifice three times, and I'm going to pray. He prays, and God answers with fire. And the whole Thing is consumed, and it's a tremendous demonstration of God's power to the people. And the people say, "The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God." We get it. What a, that that is God. They kind of just their eyes are open. They realize God is powerful, and what they've been serving has been it's been false. Elijah goes up to the mountain, and he says he's been praying for rain, and he asks his servant, "Is there any clouds on the horizon?" And a number of times, the servant comes back and says, "There's no cloud." And Elijah says, "Go check again." And the servant says, well, way out on the Mediterranean, I can see just this little cloud forming. And Elijah says, that's it. The rain's coming. Go tell Ahab, he better get back to town because there's a rainstorm coming. Hasn't rained for three years, but it's going to rain now. And so Ahab gets in his chariot, and he speeds back to town. Now, Elijah, he's had a full day already 
a lot of confrontation. It's been an amazingly hard, challenging day for this mountain man. But now the Bible says that he runs back to town and he outruns the chariot. He pulls a Forrest Gump and he just runs back to town and he beats Ahab in the chariot back to town. He gets back to town. He's also followed through on the laws of the land, people that did these types of sacrifices and the, 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 just how twisted it was. There was a judgment that needed to take place, and he follows through on all of that. So it's been a long, challenging day, but what a victorious day. And as we run back with Elijah, we could just sense his, yes, this is it. God revealed himself, rain is coming, the famine's over, and I know that Jezebel is going to be saying to me tomorrow morning, Elijah, the mountain man, you were right all along. We should have been following your God. What was I thinking? Introducing Baal Baal and Asherah. Yes, absolutely, our whole nation, we will follow God. And he was expecting such a turnaround. But the next day, chapter 19, Ahab the king says, uh, Jezebel, honey, we got a problem. And she says, well, what's that? Well, Elijah, the mountain man, there was a little demonstration on Mount Carmel, and uh, some of your prophets have been executed, judgment's taken place, fire came from heaven, and Jezebel is ticked off. She is not repenting, turning to God. As a matter of fact, she says to her messenger, go find Elijah and tell him within 24 hours he's a dead man. So you would expect that Elijah, the mountain man, would say, bring it on. Come on, Jezebel. But he doesn't do that. Elijah runs out into the desert. He went from this mountaintop experience, and now he's in the lowest of lows. We find Elijah in this valley. He's discouraged. He's depressed. He's suicidal. And we're wondering, how does God, what's God's way out of this? If you've ever felt discouraged, if you ever have felt depressed, you've had the blues, you felt like you couldn't get out in the morning out of bed, then you will be able to relate to what God tells Elijah. God has a better way, and that's where we're going to go this morning. So if you have your notes, let's go to uh, the first point. And this is things you do not want to do, okay? So you don't follow these steps. And uh, this is how to get depressed in four easy steps. So we, we don't want you depressed, but this is the four easy steps. that Because it it's pretty easy to slide there if you're not careful. And he slides this mighty man, Elijah from Gilead, from the mountains of Gilead. This strong, bold man slides into depression. So how did that happen? Number one is... He hid himself from problems and from, and he goes and he isolates himself. Look at 1 Kings 19, 3 and 4 in your notes. We really read, Elijah was afraid, fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Now he's totally alone. He went alone into the desert, traveling all day. He sat under a solitary broom tree. That's a juniper tree. And he prayed that he might die. Aren't you glad God doesn't answer all your prayers? He says, oh, God, I want to die. He's probably not the first person that prayed that, nor is he the last person. He just says, I want out. I want to quit. Get me off this merry-go-round, God. I'm done. I want to die. He says, I've had enough, Lord. Maybe you said that sometime as a businessman or maybe as a parent or maybe as a student or as a teacher, as a leader. He said, I've had enough. I want to quit. I want to quit on my 
marriage. I want to quit on my business. I want to quit on this assignment. I'm done. I want to quit. Well, if you felt that way, you are not alone. Elijah felt that way. I've had enough, Lord. He says, take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors. Starts comparing himself to others. So he went and hid in isolation. You know what Satan's objective is? This, this gives away his game plans. The Bible says, do not be ignorant concerning the devil's schemes, his devices. What is his device? Mark my words. His device is to get you alone. If he can get you alone in a dark corner, the light's turned off, under the covers, woe is me, he will torment your mind, and he'll drive you into a dark place. One of the first things we need to do is not run from church, not run from people, but run to them. And Elijah, he, he does something that always leads to depression. Depression is affecting more people than ever before. Do you know that suicide is the number two killer of young people in our country? The first is automobile accidents, car accidents. Number one is suicide. And it's not going down. It's been increasing. It's not just for young people. It's for older people. Depression is, there is a myriad of drugs for it. There's all kinds of answers for it. But God's got a plan. And if we want to get depressed, just isolate yourself. That's the enemy's tactic to bring you down further. And Elijah does this. Secondly, if you want to get depressed, have a pity party. Pity parties aren't a lot of fun. Nobody wants to go to one. They don't bring presents if they do come, so I don't suggest you have them. And Elijah has a pity party. Woe is me. Nobody understands. I alone and left, and they're trying to kill me too. So he's having this major pity party, and he goes into comparing himself to others. When we compare ourselves to others, we think, well, they have more. They did it better. The Bible makes it very clear. Comparing yourself to others is not wise. And we never feel like we have enough. We never feel like we're quite good enough. And then after we start comparing ourselves to others, then we start criticizing ourselves. And we start criticizing ourselves. We start feeling guilty. We start feeling ashamed. And pretty soon, it's woe is me. I'm nothing but a low-down worm. I don't count. Nobody sees me. Nobody recognizes me. And you're setting yourself up for depression. So that was number two. Number three, uh, let your emotions dictate your actions. This is what Elijah does here. He lets, he's led by emotions. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. And here he's being led by his emotions. Emotional reasoning is when you listen to your feelings rather than the facts. Emotional reasoning goes like this. I feel it, therefore it must be true. But how many know feelings can lie? Now, psychologists will tell you, you need to get in touch with your feelings. And there's truth to that. Because if you get in touch with your feelings, you can get past denial, and there's, it's good to be in touch with your feelings. But that alone won't set you free. Jesus didn't say, you shall know your feelings, and your feelings shall set you free. No, no, he said, you shall know the truth, right? And the truth shall set you free. Sometimes it's easier to find your feelings than it is to find the truth. Buy the truth, Proverbs says. Seek the truth. Jesus said, know the truth. It, it takes effort to know the truth. But when you know the truth, you'll be free. And Elijah slides into this state of depression because he's following feelings instead of following truth. Uh, number four is lie down and give up. If you want to get depressed, just lie down, give up, say, there's no hope. I'm checking out. I quit. No vision, no hope. Without a vision, my people... 
Somebody know the verse? So my people perish. We perish. We dry up. We shrivel up. We, we go into despondency. So four classic things here that Elijah does leads him into this darkness. Now, we don't want to leave Elijah there, do we? We don't want to leave you there either because we kind of got you in this story and we'd hate to leave you there. So what is God's way out of this? And uh, we, we thought we'd go out in the street and ask people on the street, how would you get out of depression if you felt despondent or had the blues? What would you do to pick yourself back up? So let's go to the street and find out what they're saying on the street. Landry and the media team put this together for us this past week, and then we'll come back to the message. question is, in what ways do you handle being stressed, sad, depressed, and down and out? Oh, simple. I handle it by going to the gym. This is exactly where I'm headed right now. It takes away everything, all aggression, everything, so. Uh, talk to a friend, uh, get out in nature, take a break, breathe. Uh, I usually hang out with my friends, go out, and just chill with them. I think it's the best way to like, release stress or whatever. Well, usually I just smile and yeah, it helps. Uh, on the truck or day to day? On the truck or day to day? How do I handle? Uh, well, I definitely probably have a juice. That seems like the most logical sense. If I'm depressed or something, I'd probably just talk to someone about it, maybe. Um, well, I know we have lots of chocolate here, so that's a pretty that pretty helps a lot. Uh, I read books. Yeah. You get your knitting out and think about. Making something. So you start knitting. Yes. Okay. Oh, you know. Knitting and gardening is the key. Okay. Probably about the. Su- well, I don't get knitting out, obviously, but <laughs> probably get out in the garden, do a bit of the uh, gardening. Talk to my friends, or go for a walk. Okay. Or, um, yoga. Yoga. Yeah. I think about um, all the things that are in my life that make me happy that I do have rather than the things that I don't have. I count my blessings. Uh, probably getting time to myself, walk on the beach, that kind of thing. That's about it, yeah. Uh, I don't know, uh, go out and have fun. Okay. Yeah. What, do you, what do you do to have fun? What are the ways? Uh, go to a disco, a party, uh, go out with girls. Okay. Uh, lots of hanging out with friends, lots of hanging out with family, and um, running, lots of running. Gets those endorphins going. Nice. All right. Hey, raise your hand up if you have a few minutes for some questions here. Okay, thanks. Thanks for your time. So raise your hand if you struggle sometimes with being sad, get the blues, depressed, things like that. Okay, so the majority of you guys, great. So raise your hand if you deal with being sad or depressed by, say, eating asparagus in massive quantities. Okay, almost all of you again. And say, raise your hand if, if you watch the Food Network to deal with your stress or depression. Okay. Hey, 
Thanks, guys. I'm going to wave goodbye to you guys and take care. There you go. That's the word on the street. Yeah, thank that media team for the help. If you, you haven't seen that little artwork yet, you know, next to us on the Shangri-La here is that outdoor art gallery. So you can go by there and take a look at that. I think you'd be asking the question, how many here would like to receive Christ? Could I see your hands? Yes, I see that hand. I see that hand. So that's my take on it. But at any rate, there was some good little nuggets from the street there, you know, uh, stay in touch with family, stay in touch with friends, uh, get some exercise. So there was a lot of good things that people had to say. Some, you know, may not work as well as others. I'm not sure how well chocolate works. It might work for you. But, uh, knitting may work as well for you. But these were just some of the ways that people said they hand, handled being despondent or down. But let's go to say, what, what does God say? What is His way to recover? And if you have your notes, go there. We'll go through four points. Now, we we found these to work over the years. Um, you can just go to the bank with this. This works when you're down following God's way to recover. How did he treat Elijah? Because the way he treated Elijah is the way also that he deals with us. Number one, God took care of Elijah's physical needs. In 1 Kings 19, verse 5, then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. Again, that's a juniper tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. You know, God met Elijah where he was at not where he should be. Aren't you glad God shows up and meets us right where we're at? Sometimes we've blown it, we've missed it, we're down, we're discouraged, and we know things didn't turn out the way we planned, we feel like quitting, and we think, well, God wouldn't even show up, but God shows up where we are at. He meets us there. And when we quit, God doesn't quit. You feel like quitting, but God doesn't quit on you, nor the plan that he has for your life. So God shows up, and he sends an angel, and while Elijah's sleeping, the angel gets some charcoals, makes some bread, and gets some water there for him. And uh, Elijah wakes up to the smell of fresh baked bread. Have you ever walked by a Subway store? And uh, there's one down here on Georgia Street. I walk by. I can smell it about half a block away. I smell that fresh baked bread. My mom used to bake bread on Saturday mornings, and we come in from doing chores. I go, oh, mom loves us. She made bread. And you take this fresh baked bread, and you slice it, and you get some butter, mellow yellow, and you smother that bread in butter, and you get some honey. Mwah. I can taste it right now, you know, and what time is it? It's just a few minutes to 12. It's no wonder. But there's something, isn't there something about just bread that's freshly baked, and, and he's got some nice, cool, fresh water. He wakes up to that. What, what's God doing? He, he's not condemning Elijah. He could have said, Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah, how come you're running from Jezebel? Elijah, suck it up. Get back out there. Come on, finish up. Let's go. What are you down? Look what I did. I did all this, and you're acting like this? Come on, Elijah. We'd almost expect that God might act that way, but he doesn't, and he doesn't treat us that way either. He loves Elijah back. He, his grace meets him. He loves Elijah back. Vince Lombardi once said, the famous coach of the Packers, fatigue makes cowards out of all of us. Instead, God loves him back to sanity. When he was seething with anger and bitterness, God was silently waiting for him to speak to him. So number one, how do we overcome it is we take care of our physical needs, and God is into that. There's a verse I like in Psalm 127, verse 2. God wants his loved ones to get their proper rest. 
it's really important to bounce back is to take care of your body because you can't do anything spiritual outside of your body. We are a spiritual being, and our body is a big part of us. And so God here, interesting enough, says, Elijah, we've got to take care of you physically. The second thing God does is he helps Elijah get past his emotions and to think clearly. Remember, Elijah was having a pity party. And when you have a pity party, you're not really thinking clearly because it's all about you and how bad it is and how terrible it is. So God's got to get him past that. And what happens is Elijah has his food. He gets some energy, supernatural energy, and he travels for about 40 days. Well, actually, 40 days. And he ends up at Mount the same mountain where Moses got the Ten Commandments. He climbs up this mountain, he gets into a cave, and he's, he's kind of sulking in the cave. And that's where he is. He's still working through this. God hasn't said anything for six weeks to him. Over a month has passed by, and he's just allowed Elijah to kind of sort this thing out and find out where he's at. And now when he's in the cave, God comes up and he asks him a question. Look at 1 Kings 19, verse 9. It's in your notes. Then he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And sometimes God just puts a question out to us. Obviously, God knew what he was doing there. He asked Adam, Adam, where art thou? But he knew where Adam was, obviously. And the reason God is asking him a question is because he wants to engage in a conversation with him. If I asked Jorge a question here, I said, oh, Jorge, how was your week? It's because I want to engage in a conversation with Jorge. So, tell me how your week was. And God wants... Elijah to share what's on his heart. He wants him to get it out. When we're hurt, and Elijah was hurt, when we're down, if we bottle it up and keep it on the inside of us, it just begins to grow roots of bitterness into our life. And the most healthy thing to do is to bring it out, to share it. And God is inviting Elijah, Elijah, tell me why you're hurting. Elijah, tell me what's going on in your heart. And if you read the scriptures, Elijah does this, David does it, at different points, you see people just getting honest before God and sharing how they're feeling. And he invites Elijah to do that. He says, what's going on, Elijah? There's no condemnation here, just a question, what's happening, Elijah? And Elijah comes back again, he's going to tell him what's going on in his life. God wants us to be honest, he wants us to talk to him, he wants us to share what's going on. Now, at this time, God does something pretty amazing. And this is really, really key in the story of Elijah. God's got to get through to him because here's the deal. Elijah is ticked off because it didn't turn out the way he wanted it to turn out. There is this great demonstration of power. God revealed himself. Jezebel was supposed to repent and come back to God. All the people were supposed to follow God. And why didn't this happen the way he thought it should happen? What's wrong with this picture? And he's, he's really struggling. He feels like he's the only one. Nobody else is there. I'm doing this all by myself. And here's this mighty man from Gilead, the mountain man. And he's depressed and he's discouraged because it didn't turn out the way he wanted it to turn out. But God's ways are higher than our ways. And God's got to get through to him what's going on. So God does something. He gives him a little bit of display, a pyrotechnical multimedia display, if you like, in, 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 as only God could do. So Elijah's in the cave, and he sends a great wind, a hurricane like uh, Katrina. Just a major wind blows, hurricane-style wind. Rocks are moving. The earth is shaking. And here's Elijah looking out the cave, and he sees this amazing windstorm. And he goes, he's, he's just hanging on for dear life. But God is not in the windstorm. And then God sends us earthquake, and he's hanging on to the sides of that cave. It's like a, you know, eight, nine on the Richter scale. He's just hanging on. Everything's shaking. The mountain's shaking. But God is not in that demonstration of power. Then after that, he sends a lightning storm like you've never seen. 
number of years ago when we had the fireworks down at English Bay, uh, I don't know if you can still see it on YouTube, but it used to be on a YouTube clip because we had these great, uh, uh, our great fireworks, and it's pretty spectacular. But that night, God did his own fireworks. I don't know if you remember that night, but there was a lightning storm on the night of the fireworks. And the fireworks, you know, they were like 0.5 as far as being a wow, and then there was God's lightning storm. It was just, it just overtook everything. It over overshadowed everything. And that's what Elijah saw that night there. There's this amazing lightning storm, demonstration of power like you've never seen. But God wasn't in the lightning storm. And then after that, there's a little breeze, a gentle breeze, a still, quiet voice. Where was God? God was in the gentle, still, quiet voice. What's he saying to Elijah? Elijah, there was a great demonstration of power that day. Mount Carmel, absolutely, there was a demonstration of power. And people were awakened to the fact that I am God, that I am Lord. They said, the Lord, he is God. They were awakened to it. But they didn't turn to me. Miracles and signs and wonders may open our eyes to the fact that there is a God. But remember, it is only the love of God that draws us to him. God is not some infinite bully. He's not some cosmic power that shakes you and says, I am God. I'm God. Look at my power. And we want to follow him. We don't want to follow that. We, we shrink back. And Christianity is separated from many other religions in the world because it's fear-based. It's, oh, I better make my sacrifice lest the God destroy me. And they worship the power of creation instead of the loving creator behind it. And God was saying to Elijah, Elijah, this nation will not turn to me by demonstration of power. It may awaken them. It may see that I'm God, but it is my goodness that draws people to me. The Bible says, it's the goodness of the Lord that leads men to repentance, to turn direction, to come to him. It's my grace. I need to change the leadership of this nation. I need to draw them by my love. This week, we're going to have a series on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are called the power gifts, the gifts of miracles, the uh, gifts of healing, the gift of faith, those are called the power gifts. In the gifts of the Holy Spirit, there's a gift of word of knowledge, a gift of the word of wisdom, discernment of spirits, a gift of prophecy, of tongues, interpretation of tongues. We'll teach on it. And that's, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But then, you know what comes right after it? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, where it's all about love. And in that chapter, Paul said, though I have all this power, but if I have not love, I have nothing. What was God saying to Elijah? Elijah, this power is... Yeah, it demonstrates I am powerful, I am sovereign, I am in control. But people, if they do not experience my love and my grace, they're not drawn to me. I'm not in the, yes, I'm powerful. Yes, I can shake this earth. But I will draw people to me by this gentle voice. And he finds Elijah in the cave, hiding. It took him weeks to get there. It took him 40 days to get there. But he finds him in a cave. And God will find you in your cave too. If you're in a cave today, he'll find you there. We have different types of caves. We have caves of self-pity like Elijah. We have caves of I'm in control, I can do it all myself. Or we find different types of caves we get into and God goes looking for us and he finds us there. And when he finds us there, he asks the same question that he asks Elijah. Elijah, what are you doing here? And when he finds you in your cave, he says, what are you doing here? 
Not because he doesn't know, but he wants to engage in you. God's greatest desire is that he has a relationship with man. He stands at the door and knocks. He says, if any man opens the door, I'll come in. I'll dine with him. He didn't say, I'll come in and I'll show you my power. We don't want to be with a God like that. We want to be with a God who who cares for us, who says, come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And he meets Elijah there in that cave, and he cares about him physically. He cares about him emotionally. He cares about him spiritually. And the way he demonstrates his care for him spiritually is the fact that he asks him or tells him to go out and to keep working. He's got purpose. He's got something to do yet. And point number three is God helped him take his focus off himself and put his focus on God's purpose for his life. In 1 Kings 19, we read in verse 15 and 16, Then the Lord told him, Go back the way you came. Go back the way you came. And travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazel to be king of Aram. Jehu, son of Nimshi, king of Israel. Elisha, son of Japheth, he's going to be the prophet. And so he says, you're not done. We're going to change this country, but not the way you thought. Not by this demonstration of power. It's going to be by loving the people. Great leadership will bring change to this nation. Sometimes I wish, oh God, I feel like, God, if you could just shake Canada. And we'd come back to the faith of our forefathers. It's just a, a great demonstration of your power. But I think God's saying to Canadians, I'm going to change this nation the way I would change that nation. By demonstration of my grace, love, good leadership. That's what changes countries. That's what changes families. That's what changes communities. Then lastly, uh, God gave him a friend. We heard that come through in that little street that we did. One of the greatest ways to bounce back is to have friends, and God does this for Elijah. In 1 Kings chapter 19, 21, Elijah then returned to his oxen, and, uh, or Elisha, because he finds Elisha. Elijah does. The names sound familiar, so it's easy to get them mixed up, but Elisha is second. First comes Elijah, and Elijah meets Elisha, and Elisha, he's out plowing in the field, and basically he leaves that, and he comes, and he follows Elijah and becomes his friend, co-worker, and uh, he's brought back again into relationships. So God restores him physically, God restores him emotionally, God restores him spiritually, and God restores his relationships. God is into restoring us when we're down, doesn't condemn us, meets us where we're at, and brings us back into a relationship with him. Remember the song that Frank Sinatra was made famous for when he sang, I did it my way? It was written by Paul Anka, actually, but uh, the words went, you know, the end is near, so I face the final curtain. My friends, I'll say it's clear. I'll state my case, of which I'm certain. He talks about how he did it his way. Frank Sinatra's last words were, I'm losing. You can search it on a website, but his last words were, I'm losing. He, he did everything his way. He felt like he had control over his life, but at the end, he didn't. You don't have to lose in life. You don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear what's ahead. Jesus said, I'll be with you always. I'll never leave you, never forsake you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org.